The following podcast is banned in the state of Florida for talking about a dangerous leftist book, the Bible. Like the Bible, this podcast contains frank discussions on sensitive topics, including sex, violence, and cursing. Please proceed with caution. The last time on The Word in Black and Red. And that's how you develop friendship. You gotta give a little trust, you gotta give a little vulnerability. Is God having trouble making friends? I think so. (laughs) I'm going to submit to humankind's violence and humankind's need for blood. And so God concedes to Abram by doing this symbol that Abram would understand. That human beings and religions rarely practice blood sacrifice anymore. But we have turned that impulse into other things. We call it war. a question. Are y'all friends with God? Would you consider that (laughs) for yourselves? How do you define friend? I think by asking that question, you've kind of answered that. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, because I'm friends with Micah, but I'm not close friends with Micah. I don't have any... Yeah, but like, are you friends with God? It doesn't matter. (laughs) See, the word friend has connotations with me that, that are sometimes very negative. Because I've been betrayed by friends. So so looking at it from a human viewpoint, friends are not always people I can trust. There are different levels. Yeah, but of they, they don't stay your friend. So no, like, I'm, I'm you're, still you're current. I'm still friends with them because God tells me to love them and to care for them. And so yeah, I, I, I'm friends with a lot of assholes. I'm friends with people who have betrayed me. I'm still friends with them, but I'm not close friends with them. Are you close friends with God? That, when you say that, that brings back so much evangelical trauma for me. That, oh, that yeah. brings, oh, sorry. No, it brings, <laughs> because it's, what a friend we have in Jesus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, it brings back so much trauma to me because it's almost this romantic, are you lovers with God? I went through that. No, I went through that shit. I went through that shit. You know, almost a sexualized relationship with God. And so when people ask me, uh, is Jesus your friend or is Jesus your personal savior? I say, no, no, he's not my personal savior because that's all about me. That's all about Mm. my individual salvation. I am friends with God in the way I view it. When I am gathered with a community of diverse people and I see the joy and the love there and the support for each other, that's when I really sense what I would call the presence of God. I know God is there with me when I'm sitting down there with people who just love me for just being present and aren't asking anything of me. So that's where I experience the presence of God, the knowledge of God. I mean, uh, friends with God really, I mean, that that harkens back to some really scary evangelical crap I went through. I came to faith at a Baptist church and it's been almost a decade of Pentecostalism, and that can get really, really scary sometimes. As I told someone the other day, we were having a conversation, and I said, you know, 
it's not, you know, I used to have a mentor who would tell me it's all about following Jesus. And I, I, I realized I don't like that language. It's not about following Jesus. It's about walking beside Jesus. So if you said, are you friends with God? I would say, I love walking beside Jesus and I love talking with Jesus. And uh, to uh, hearken to my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, I'm not friends with Jesus. I'm married to Jesus. And sometimes it doesn't feel friendly. Uh, a marriage relationship <laughs> doesn't always feel friendly, but it's a relationship I'm committed to. It's a relationship that I know is lasting. It's a relationship that I know is caring. So it's more about being in this covenantal relationship that lasts beyond anything I want to do. And it's a relationship that even on the bad days, I know it's a relationship I still want to be in. We've said a lot here. I, I'm not sure how much of the friend of God stuff I am emotionally ready to listen to four times before the edit gets done. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm sorry for bringing up religious. No, 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 no. You didn't no, know. No, you didn't no, know. Well, this is the problem we in a liberal and progressive spaces have. And that is when somebody brings up something that rises trauma within us. We try and blame it on them. And that is not your fault. That's just the trauma I went through that you could not know about. And we, we have this purity culture within progressive Christianity that says, well, damn it, you should apologize for making me feel bad. No, it's not your well, damn fault. I'm, I'm not without my own religious trauma. And I've done a lot of like trauma, like specific trauma healing. And even though, you know, it's it's not my fault, but I can still be considerate and like not yes, yes. poke further yeah. into that <laughs> uh, still still aching wound. Sure, but like you I think that what I want to say is to bring this to sin language to re-traumatize all of us, right? <laughs> it what you did was not a sin, right? What you did was not unloving in any way, what you did was not intentional to hurt us or bring us pain or anything. There was nothing wrong with what you did. And recognizing that it had hurt us, you're not going to continue it further, right? And so, like, you're you're doing everything you're supposed to do. You don't need to apologize. My right. toddler these days um, is trying to say I'm sorry, but when he says it, it comes out as I sorrow. And, like, oh, that, that's so that, cute. It is so fucking cute. But also, like... I think it better encapsulates what I want to say so often when I say I'm sorry, right? I'm not trying to apologize to you when I've listened to how hard your day is mm -hmm. and then I say I'm sorry, right? That's I'm good. trying to say I sorrow with you, right? I'm taking yeah. on part of your sorrow here yeah, and I'm living beautiful. into that, right? And so, like, you can absolutely sorrow with me on this on this trauma that I didn't even realize I was still carrying, right? Like, yeah. you know, and and I think that um, this goes back to the story, really, is that God's first friendship right here is with Abram, who is not, like, again, we've established, Abram is not a great guy. Like, this is not the healthiest of friendships, and yet God sticks with it, right? God tests Abram in these ways. And I think that so often as leftists, 
we end up in this in this sort of testing each other to see did you say that perfectly right right mm-hmm. are you exactly the right kind of person do you have the exact right ideology on here mm-hmm. and so like that's why we so act often a little, we act a little leftier than thou yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And like it it's a form of fundamentalism, right? It's yeah. a form of I have to be right and you have to be wrong and there's no other way that this could be, right? Rather than saying we're all wrong and yeah. we're going to learn from each other how we can be more right, right? And we can build solidarity and empathy with I, each I other and disa- loving each other. I, I would disagree things. with you saying uh, we're going to learn how we can all be right cuz I I could care less if any <laughs> of us are right. <laughs> Uh, it's yes. not learning about how to be right. It's about learning how to get along. Uh, preach, sister. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Witness. Because, you know, that that's the whole thing is it's it's all about getting along. It's all about being loving. But, but what I also want to tell you, Al, is even though that trauma was raised there, your, what you said brought about good discussion. Yes. And brought about me explaining what language works well for me. And that's the big thing we need to learn. And that's why the Bible is so diverse, is language that might work for one person, like calling God your friend, that language works for you. And that's perfectly all right. Calling God uh, someone I'm in a marriage relationship works for me. and. For me, a marriage relationship has much more than just romantic or sexual connotations now. You know, a marriage relationship is about commitment and care and love. And just, you know, to me, this is how I see my relationship with God, uh, my friendship, if you will, with God. I love at the end of every day when I can sit down with my spouse and watch TV for about an hour, an hour and a half, if we're lucky, with no one else in the room. That is my favorite part of the day. And that's how I describe my relationship with God, is when I can sit down at the end of the day and just be there and be present with God. That, to me, is what works for me. But the key of this whole story is how do we see God in community? How do we see God working in the communities of which we're a part? And that's the powerful message I think more Christians, both on the left and the right, need to understand. That my relationship with God, if if I use that personal relationship language, is, is often very separate to seeing how God is working in the communities in which I'm a part. Because that looks very, very different. That's a perfectly innocent question. Are you a friend of God? And I need to sit and think about it. You know, do God and I want the same things? I think so. I try to live my life in such a way that I want the things that God wants. Does God love and care and support me? Most of the time, yeah. And do I try to love and support God in any way that I can? Most of the time. Do I talk to God when I have problems? Oh, yeah, all the time. Do I sit and try and listen to God? Not as often as I should, by which I mean 24 hours a day, right? But, <laughs> but, but I try, right? I try to be friends with God. I like that language if I'm married to God. Like, yeah. Well, well let, let me ask this question, Michael. Since we're friends, 
have we made a covenant together? No, no. No, we haven't. <laughs> Abraham made a covenant with God. And that's why I use marriage language, because marriage is probably one of the most fundamental covenants in all of human cultures. We make a covenant to spend a life together with another human being. And one of the main reasons we make that covenant is to care for others, to care for children, whether those children are adopted, whether those children are born. We make a covenant to care for others together. And that continues to be true even when sometimes, you know, the friendship isn't always there. Uh, one of the things me and my wife did before we got married, you know, we were married for a number of years before we had kids. We waited. And uh, one of the conversations we had was, hey, when we do have kids, it's me and you against them. <laughs> because the best advice I got about marriage was from uh, her pastor that she grew up with, who was a bachelor all his life. I never thought a bachelor could uh, give you the best marriage advice, but he did. And his marriage advice was always love and care for each other. Because if you love and just care for the children first, and you make them the priority in your relationship, your relationship may fall apart. And when those children grow up and move away and have their own lives, you're left alone. And so my wife and I had that conversation early on that we made a covenant with each other that it's going to be us against the world. And I think that's what the covenant relationship is with God, is that it's us against these systems in the world, which are destructive and harmful. And so when you're in that covenant relationship with God, it is about caring for all the children in the world. And I use the word children metaphorically to be people. It is about this covenant relationship with God. It's all about caring and loving for others. And that goes back to Jesus, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So you make this covenant with God, I will love you, and I will show that love to you by caring for others. Yeah, I think that that is probably the way in which I am the most friendly with God, right? <laughs> yes, um, yes. Yes. It's one thing for me to pray every day and offer worship and those sorts of things. And that is very important to me. But far more in a way than any of that, I am friends with God because I am friends with God's friends. Like, I right. love the people that God loves. And that's what really matters. More than am I friends with God is am I friends with God's friends. <laughs> and everyone that I see is someone that God considers their beloved, that God considers their friend. Now, I think that one of the most interesting things about the conversation that we're having is that my reaction to this conversation about being the friend of God was really informed by a traumatic interaction that I had had previously, where being a friend of God required things, where being a friend of God had limitations. It made God's love conditional. It made me have to aspire to be particular things that fit into the fundamentalism into which I was raised, rather than being a friend of God because I'm a human. God sorts out that Abraham is a person of high moral character. That's a weird thing to say. A passage right after Abraham gets back from selling his wife off into slavery. Like, that's a bizarre thing to say. And I wonder if the text is here being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. 
and saying, it's not really because Abraham was a person of high moral character. It's because God loved him anyway. Now, that idea of a friend of God is, and Derek, really, you hit it on the head there (laughs) when you said that that isn't a metaphor that works for you, right? For me, the metaphor of God that doesn't work for me is father, right? Now, as a dad, I'm now trying to figure out what that relationship is like and how I can rebuild that relationship with God as my father. But I know for a lot of us who grew up in homes with an emotionally distant or abusive father, that can be a really difficult relationship to manage. So I don't see God as father most of the time. You'll see me refer to God almost exclusively as God or they or she, if I venture into gendered pronouns in particular. But most often, the metaphor for God that works for me is my comforter, is my shelter, is my safe space amidst a storm. The metaphor of God as my friend or God as my father just doesn't connect with me in a way. I have specific friendships, like you were talking about, Derek, that fell apart where a friend deeply betrayed me. The person I thought I loved most in the world betrayed me in a really dramatic way. And so that concept of friendship with God leaves me open to betrayal, (laughs) which is a relationship that I'm not really willing to have with God. (laughs) I think that even when I was angry with God because I thought God was leading me down one path and then God was revealing another that I might not understand it in the time, but I do have faith that God is working things out for me because I know God loves me. I know that God is my guide to something that is better. And that's a metaphor that works for me a lot more than friend or father. And I think that relates back to the passage that we've just read, where God is not demanding a sacrifice of Abraham. God is meeting Abraham where he's at. He's using the language that Abraham understands to communicate his deep and abiding love for him. He's cutting a deal, right? (laughs) Literally splitting these animals in half and then leading through with a light, a guiding light that the people of Israel would understand as connected to another part of their story in this interwoven tapestry of how we form our self-identities. The idea of God as father doesn't really fit into my tapestry these days, but that doesn't mean it isn't a beautiful piece of language that should fit into yours. And I think that that marriage, marriage should be a place where we are free to engage in the metaphors and receive the love that we need. And that's why I love that metaphor of being married to God. But I also love the metaphor of God as my savior, as my leader, as my revolutionary. God as the one who is leading me out of my present darkness and into the world that God wants to build together by gathering us all at a giant wedding feast to celebrate our unity with God. And this is a friendly reminder that if you are a Christian, that means that you are part of the Bride of Christ, which means if you have outdoor plumbing, either you're in a gay marriage or, mm-hmm. bam, you're trans. Congratulations. It's, it's funny you say that. I had a conversation with a really liberal parishioner of mine many, many years ago, but he could not get past same-sex marriage. He was an individual who could do secular marriages. I'm trying to... Uh, not identify this person. And so after (laughs) same-sex marriage was made legal throughout the country, he said, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do marriages anymore because I don't really agree with same-sex marriage. And I said, hey, bud, why don't you? And, you know, he gave me, you know, some of those talking points about how marriage is for procreation and all this bullshit. And he's telling me all this. And I said, you're a Christian, right? He said, yeah. I said, 
so you're part of the bride of Christ, right? He said, yeah. I said, you're married to a male. If you see Jesus as male, you're married to a man. He's like, what? And his wife over there, who's totally opposite viewpoint, just starts laughing her ass off. I, I said, you are in a same-sex relationship with another man. This is the actual gay agenda. Yeah, this is yeah, the actual yeah, yeah, gay yeah. agenda. Here's the thing. At that time, I wasn't open and affirming. I was just affirming. I wasn't open about it. And he freaked the hell out. And uh, now now he's gone full tilt. Oh, yeah, gay marriage is great. Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. Gay marriage is awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, my work here is done. But that was a revelation for me is that, you know, I, I am the epitome of a cis guy in many ways. You know, you look at me. Older white guy, been married almost 30 years, got two kids. Uh, I identify as a heterosexual. And uh, yet I understand that, you know, uh, all these things are so fluid. It, it, it's a beautiful experience when, when that revelation hits you that I am truly married to Christ. One of the things they do in the Roman Catholic Church is nuns and priests, both, or at least they used to, were wedding rings to signify their marriage to Christ. I also want to say thank you that it is a challenging way of thinking because am I being God's friend is a good question that I need to be asking myself. You know, God is my friend. Like, God is good to me. Even though I'm angry with God all the time, like, God can handle it. Like, you have some relationships where, like, they can put up with being the person you're mad at. I will always take my kid's anger at my spouse, you know, I, I will always take that on and and be okay with being the person that they're angry with, right? And I have another friend who sometimes just needs some punching bag, and so I can be that punching bag for them. I can't be it for everybody, but that special relationship. And God is big enough to take my anger in these sort of things. But am I being a good friend to God is a different question. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, relationships take require input. They require putting in that time, putting in that dedication. And I can go to church every Sunday. I can go to church every Wednesday. I can go to church every day of the week. And I can still not be putting in the work that I actually need to be doing to be a friend of God. And so that is a challenge that I'm going to be thinking about is how, how I can be a better friend to God uh, throughout this week. And, and this episode has all felt a lot more like, I don't know, evangelical? I don't know if that's not the right word for it. Re religious? I don't know, than, than most episodes that we've done on this podcast. But I really appreciate that it's a very different conversation. I knew this was going to be a rich conversation. But this is the point in the scriptures where we begin a relationship that results in the salvation of the entire world. Mm -hmm. God is becoming buddies with Abram so that everyone is saved. No human is left behind. So that when God becomes a human, that that means that everyone gets to experience God's love. And whether you think that heaven is a real place that continues on forever and ever, or you think that heaven is the earth as it's going to be remade, or you think that heaven is just a state of being, all of those concepts of heaven are things that we can find in friendship with God and in friendship with each other because of the love that I believe God has poured out on the world. My last thought is this, and it comes from the breast plate of St. Patrick, which has some really mean stuff in it, but it also <laughs> has this, this beautiful line. 
Christ in the heart of every person who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I rise today for a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. That's what it means for me, mm. is to see Christ, to see the living God in the eyes and in the words and in the life of every person I meet. Derek, I think that's such a beautiful point. I think the thing that I am coming away thinking about this is that the Trinity is a community of people that come together and love each other perfectly, of the same substance, everlasting, but they are the Godhead that perfectly loves each other. And that is what we're supposed to be striving for. As Christians and as leftists, we're supposed to be building community that loves each other so that we can build the better world that we're looking for. And God had that perfect community and didn't stick there, mm. but went out mm. to bring in everyone. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike actually bringing out my inner Pentecostal. <laughs> oh, this is dangerous. We got to wrap it up before before he gets loose. I'll start speaking in tongues, man. They're watching. <laughs> All right, friends. Thank you, L and Derek, for once again having a, just an incredible conversation. And uh, all the many ways that this simple text, this strange text, has evoked conversations that that really matter in so many other ways. And thank you, dear listener, for being a part of this conversation. We so appreciate you each and every week. Past Micah, take it away. Thank you, future Micah. And of course, you, our wonderful listener. Together, we have made a wonderful and growing community on Discord that I look forward to being a part of every day. Your generous support on Patreon has already greatly increased the quality of our podcast, including this very outro. As an extra little thank you, you can get episodes early along with a bunch of other cool perks. Please follow the link in the show notes to join our Discord, Patreon, and all of the other things mentioned throughout this episode. If you would like to reach me directly, you can reach me through the Discord or by email at thewordinblackandred at gmail.com. Now, future Micah, say the profound shit. Thank you, past Micah. And now, friends, let us go out to be friends with God and each other to build the world that God exited perfect community to create. Shalom. The human brain is shaped like a walnut. Gotta crack that nut.